You know, this morning, when I think about what's going on in our country and what's going on in our world, we see a lot of things going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, you see from Eastern Europe to threats of war. You see, like in the Middle East, you see things that are just gut-wrenching. That, you know, when you look and you go, and we're living in times we've never seen in our lives. Not with our eyes. And people go, well, are we living in the last days? Here's my response. You're living in your last days. And, uh, you know, I, I just want what I want to do is I just want to talk to you a little bit this morning. And it's our first message. It's going to be six weeks. We're going to do this at every campus. We're going to be doing this series. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be studying and talking about. And, and what we're talking about today is culture shift. And, uh, you know, together, what, what we're going to do for the next six weeks, we're going to look at the Old Testament and we're going to begin to do a study in the book of Daniel. And, uh, you know, it's like I'm excited about that because the things that I see that, that are going on in our culture and as, as, a, as a pastor, I feel the responsibility. If I don't speak things, if I don't say things with an urgency, you know, then, then, then I, we're really not doing what God has called us to do as ministers of the gospel. And, you know, you see just this past week, you've seen what's happening in Houston, you know, where pastors are being told. And, you know, if you know anything about how it all happened, it was it all happened because a mayor and the city council wanted to push uh, something on the city where, you know, if you're a guy and and you feel like you want to go to the bathroom, you don't feel comfortable going to men's because you you want to go to the women's, you can go to the women's, but you can have your seven year old daughter in there. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, and what happened to people in Houston begin to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that, that's, something's not right here. Uh, come on, you know what I'm talking about? So they got a petition in a few churches, just had a petition to sign in the church. And so what they did is that they had to get 50,000 signatures and actually they got three times more than that. And then they went before the city council and they said, it don't matter, we're doing it anyway. And so then they, they said, no, you can't do that. And then it's led to what it is, okay? And so we live in a culture that we've never seen before with our own eyes. And we're living in times when we thought we would never hear these things. When I was a kid growing up, I remember still praying in public school. I remember, I remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance without shame. I remember getting my I remember getting the board of higher education to the seat applied to higher learning. I mean, all those different things. I mean, I, I experienced them. Some of you did and some of you didn't. But I, I just see even in my own lifetime, I remember when hippies started coming around. I remember my grandfather, we were driving in Lake Charles, Louisiana. You know, we were driving down and we're coming back from my uncle's place. And he goes, and there's a guy and he has long hair and he goes, my God. And he, don't, he never said Jesus unless you left the door open or the air conditioner was running too much or you look in the refrigerator too long. He goes, my God, my God, you can't tell a woman from a man anymore. And I just thought, wow, look at it. You know, it just, so I saw a little of that culture shift. But, you know, we're living in different times. You know, it, it, you know speaking about shifts, I, I, you know, it's like as you get older, you know, things begin to change. And it, it's funny that uh, today, you know, the shift, you know, it's like if, if you begin life, you know, and you, as, as you get older in your relationships, what happens is, uh, how many you know when you get older, things get a little change and sometimes you don't understand each other and it kind of impacts your relationship whether the people around, I heard, a, I heard about two elderly couples that were enjoying a friendly conversation. One of the men asked the men, hey, Fred, hey, how, how, how 
how was that memory clinic that you went to last week? And he said, oh, it was outstanding, man. I mean, they taught us all, th- all the latest techniques about visualization and association. And it's made a huge difference in my life. And he goes, wow, that's great. What was the name of that clinic? Fred kind of went blank and thought about it. And he couldn't remember it. Then he had a big smile come across his face. And he just, you know. You know, what do you call that flower with a long stem that has thorns? He goes, you mean a rose? And he turns to his wife. Hey, Rose, what's the name of that clinic? <laughs> so anyway, you're good. You know, today, today we're going to be, begin with a question. How do we as believers, when, how do we respond when culture shifts? What do, we, what do we do when values we used to hold dear, that things that used to we hold dear, all of a sudden now they're changing? What do we do? What, you, you don't have to look far and you see around things that are changing rapidly. The way we say things, speech, words are being reassociated. You can't say certain things. You can't do certain things. There's just a lot of things happening. Not only is culture shift happening here, but scripture's clear. There's another massive culture shift fixing to take place. It's coming. It's called the end times. Okay, and as a pastor, I feel the responsibility to prepare you. And and you know what? For the unprecedented shifts that are fixing to happen. I mean, I I turned on the news yesterday and they start talking about another thing. I I, I listened to the the radio. I I, I read an article this morning as I was reading through some things and about a, a, a great movement and they asked the guy that's in charge of the movement they started asking him questions and you got to watch the questions people ask you because they want to label you then he asked him a certain question and he wasn't real clear on that he just wasn't clear he didn't give a biblical worldview he was kind of given a, a view where like you know i want people to like me okay and, and what happens it, it, i was just like wow you know, and so if you if you stick with me and you stick with Pastor Jamie, if you stick with us for the next three, it's my prayer that you're going to learn how to stand firm. How many you want to stand firm? Even through, and you can even flourish. Listen to me. It's not like, I'm going to get by. Oh, my God. Are we going to make it, honey? Buy them dry beans. There's a special TV at 3 o'clock. I saw it last night when I couldn't sleep. You know, you can flourish. Culture can be defined as the beliefs and the customs of a particular society, a group, a place or time. It's a way you think. It's a thinking. It's the way of thinking, living and behaving that exists in a certain place. What does that mean? A culture shift doesn't always mean you change geographical location. It means what happens is that you can live in the exact same place, but you have a culture change all around you. Things, you know, things you heard, you know, the things that you held dearly, all of a sudden those things are changing. So, Pastor, why why the study the book of Daniel? I love coming to Eunice because y'all always ask great questions. Here's a great question. And here are four ways I'd like to answer that question. Number one, if you have your notes this morning, and it says Daniel's situation is becoming increasingly similar to our own. Amen? For most of us, Daniel lived, listen, he lived as a believer in a culture that did not reflect his values. 
from the time he was a teenager until the time he died. You know, Daniel was deported, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit, when he was 15 years old. And the book of Daniel is recorded until he's 90 years old. Okay? And so what happens in that, he lives in a different culture for 75 years. You know, he never had the luxury of uh, living surrounded by the people who believed just like he did. He didn't have that luxury. He didn't have the luxury of going back home and seeing his old friends. So for the next six, we're going to find out as, as Christians, can, how followers can work and live in, in a place where our values that don't even reflect our own, how we can live and how we can survive. And not, it's not just about surviving, how we can flourish in that. The second thing is Daniel's prophecies may all soon be fulfilled. The book is filled with dreams, visions, prophecy about the end times and weeks to come. We're going to discover that. And an amazing connection between the words of Daniel and the life of our 21st century. You'll see that. We're going to, we're going to try to bring that home to you. The third thing is Daniel's God is our God too. Amen? And he still is on the throne. What does that mean? This may be the most important lesson in the book. God is in charge. Simple and clear. He's in charge. That means he's, he's in charge of nations, families, individuals. He's, he's, he's in charge of the past, the present, and the future. God is the alpha and omega. That means he's the beginning and he's the end. Okay? And, and it's, it's not limited in time. He is, the fu- he is in the future already and he has already been in the past. Does that make sense? Okay, am I going too fast? I'm getting a little excited. I haven't even got into it. I'm just kind of giving you, it's kind of like setting up, it's kind of like painting a canvas for you. We're kind of going on the travel channel this morning. We're getting in the car, we're turning down, we're taking the right. And then the, and all of a sudden navigation is going to be, you know, 200 feet. Watch out. You know what I mean? So, but, um, you know, I, I want to help you get to a point where you can trust an unknown future to a God that controls the future. Your, your life, let me tell you something. If you, if you just take some of these principles, it's not what we say. If you allow what God's wanting to do and deposit in your heart and in your spirit, I believe it'll change you. And see, the fourth and the final, the greatest example in the Bible of a godly person experience a rapid and massive culture shift is Daniel. Okay? Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. It's not a sin to go to the table of contents in this church. All right, it's right after Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. And uh, it's also known as in a group of books called the Major Prophets. For all you scholars out there. And so, you know, in order to place the book firmly in your minds, here's a little bit of background. When, when was Daniel written? David lived a thousand years before Jesus, okay? And Daniel lived about 400 years after David. So it was a 600 years before Jesus. Okay, we got it? The book covers the period of 605 B.C. to 530 B.C. Okay, so in the beginning, Daniel's a teenager. He's, a pro- he's 10, 15 years old. And when he closes, they say that it, the book closes and it's done. He's about 90 years old. 
During his lifetime, God allowed him to serve under a succession of Babylonian, Greek, Roman, and even Persian kingdoms. Okay? During, this li- during his lifetime, God allowed him to serve under a succession of Babylonian and Persian rulers. Not, not the Greek and the Romans. That's the, down the road. But that's what he did. Different, different mindsets, different cultures. After being deported, he goes back to live after he doesn't go back, he doesn't go. He never goes back to Jerusalem. Never. From being an, an imported hostage, the cool thing is God's hands on his life. Listen, no matter where God sends me, I just want His hand on my life. No matter where God sends you, you want His hand on your life. Amen. How many of you want your, the hand of God over your children? Come on, over your marriage, over this church. Over what God's doing. We all want that. The hand of God represents his favor. Okay. And he becomes a trusted prime minister. And a counselor to the mightiest rulers in the world. Don't tell me God can't raise you up in a culture. That is anti-God. And that doesn't reflect. God can raise you up in a culture that does not reflect biblical views at all. I believe that. I've read books. I've met people. I've met people that have been tortured. I used to live with a guy that was in Cuba. He was a colonel. He fought for uh, Castro. When he found out that, that Castro was a communist, he said, I cannot fight for this man. He remembered, I remember him telling me that they were firing squads. And he, and he said, and many of those people that were shot, many of them were Christians. They met Jesus in jail. And he'd go, Viva la Jesus! Down Castro! Yeah, you know what I mean? Whatever. But they were shot immediately. And you know what? They met the face behind the voice that spoke to them. They, met the, they, they felt the presence of God. There weren't any more worries. Who cares? What can a bullet do? Take you to Jesus? Wow, what a threat. But we don't look at that way sometimes, don't we? You see, I believe this. There's three responses we can have when a culture shifts. Listen to me. The first response is, Let's get out of Dodge. Let's move to Montana. Hide, you know, baby, hide the, the MREs. You know, all the ones that are left from Rita and Katrina, bring them up. We just went on a retreat. You can retreat. Or you go, let's just, let's just wait for the rapture. Rapture practice. Come on. I believe in the rapture. We'll talk about that another time. But I believe in the rapture. But I believe that you need to prepare until he comes. You don't just go, oh, please get me out of this. Okay, does that make sense? The second thing, we can compromise. We just give in to the culture and we give up fighting. We don't like the pressure, so we're just going to give in. Or you can engage in love. When things get darker, you just love people more. You begin to shine brighter. We exist to make an impact. I mean, how many times you you see when they had the the, the, the slave train it, it, during before this you know the the civil war in our country? How people were bringing people that were African Americans, they were bringing them north to help them to find freedom, the freedom train. How about 
at times when you begin to see Russia, I don't know if you ever read books about, you know, Brother Andrew, he'd sneak Bibles into Russia when it was closed and communist and, and he'd bring suitcases full. And, and, and when they would go through the checkout lines, they would, they would li- they'd open up the suitcase and they'd see the Bibles and, and it's like the Russian guards were blinded. They didn't see them. I mean, it's just cool stuff. God, God's in the cool stuff. But sometimes you got to be willing to take a risk. You know? That's a whole other thing. I love that. I was thinking about something, but I'm not going to go there. The book of Daniel is, is, is broken down, listen to me, in two key sections. And here it is. The first part is, is just practical. The second part, yeah, there's two things. The practical, how you live, and the prophetic. Okay? The, what's coming. Okay? It's, it's how you live with what you're dealing with right now. And then what's coming in the future is being told. Okay? So that's how it's broken down. The first cha- six chapters focus on the person of Daniel. And the, while the, the final six focus on the prophetic. See, he speaks of a future events that have not happened yet. You see, Daniel's the key that unlocks the New Testament book of Revelations. And we'll talk. Y'all just pray. Hopefully next year we'll do a session and I want to do it on the book of Revelations. Okay? And, and so, you just pray for us. Due to the fact that many of the prophecies in this book, Daniel, okay? We're going to read out of it in just a minute. I'm just trying to, I'm, can I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to paint a picture of it. Is that, okay? Are y'all with me? Okay. And, and so what happens is, you know, what happens, it, it can. What happens is there's a lot of people that the book of Daniel con- confronts critics. And as early as 300 A.D., uh, people started critiz- criticizing uh, the book. It, it was a fraudulent book and because it was incredibly. A- but, but after a while, they began to say, man, this thing's accurate. How did he know these things would take place? Even in the, in the old Greek Old Testament uh, what what happened? It was 285 years before Jesus was 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 come. They had the book of Daniel that began to prophesy. Even Alexander the Great is prophesied in the book of Daniel. And when he's coming and conquering that area, what happens is a high priest comes and says, "Hey, you're in this book. The Bible says you. This was going to happen. It says right here in this book that you were going to do this." And and Alexander the Great, instead of taking Jerusalem, he said, hey, I'm going to leave Jerusalem in God's hands. Isn't that incredible? Okay. Even Jesus called Daniel the beloved prophet and quoted him extensively. You see, the book of Daniel confronts the critics, but I just tell you, it challenges a Christian because it confirms our faith. That's what it does. See, let's identify, let's identify some of the main players in Daniel, okay? This is just an introductory this morning. These primary characters take the stage at the opening of the book of Daniel. Here, here it is. Number one is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Babylon is where Iraq is right now, 500 miles east of Jerusalem, okay? And so the Babylonians represent the world system. When you hear... A Babylonian, that means the world system. It means worldly. It means paganistic. It means it's a culture that's hostile toward God. Okay? In other words, it leaves no room for God. 
Okay, there's two kind of thoughts. There's thoughts that lead toward God, that depend on God, and there's thoughts that leave no, no, no thought or room for God, which literally lends, leads to sin. Amen? Amen? Or atheistic thinking. No, no, it's basically saying, you know, it says no God. Okay? And so what happens, they, they're a symbol of evil and paganism. You know, if you go look up a 1909, which I have one, dictionary versus a dictionary today and you look up the word paganism it's changed a lot because in the old in the old dictionary it's just worship of false gods that's what it used to mean now it means you know they have all these well and you and i was like i promise i was looking up this morning i was like this is ridiculous So the second thing, the characters is Daniel and his three friends. They represent the believer in the world, okay? Living, they want to live to obey God in the midst of a dramatic culture shift. And that's where we're going to be, guys. It used to be you could walk down the road and someone would go, see that person? They're a Christian. They love God. And people used to think, wow. People used to honor that. People used to reverence that. Rev for that. Now they go, oh yeah, there's one of them guys call themselves, oh, narrow-minded. They think this way. They think that way. They hate people because they, they categorize people. They look at them and they look at their worldview. It's just, you know. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. The third thing is a sovereign God, sovereign Lord. God places his children in the world on purpose. Listen to me, for a purpose. God allowed you to be born in this time. Out of all of history, he chose you to be born because it's, he, God did it on purpose. He is the one behind the scenes orchestrating events to bring about his will and his purpose. And see, when we see things that are going crazy, sometimes we go, God, I don't see how you see. There may be things behind this that you're allowing. Listen, we need a revival in our country. How many of you believe that? I believe that maybe what's happened in Houston will spark people to go, hey, man, I need to go to church and learn a little bit. I, I, need, to know, I need to know God because my mama used to tell me about what the things like this would happen. I'm hoping it will spark a hunger for revival. And revival just re- really means is that it's going back to where you need to be. You know, every time I have, how many of you pray for revival in our country? Every time I do communion, I have personal revival. Why can you say that, Pastor? Because I remember where I was because it says remember. I remember what Jesus did for me. I remember how he died for me. I remember how he took my sins and he washed them. How, I mean, I begin to see my lifestyle and I begin to see, and it causes me to all of a sudden when I really reflect that I begin to have personal revival. See, the, let me just say, serving God's not just coming to church on Sunday. A pastor said that. My God, Pastor Bubba said that. It's really, this is the easiest thing I do all week is stand up here. It's the easiest thing. And you know what? The easiest thing you can do all week is come here. It's what you do when you walk out of here. What you do on Monday. And boy, get to Thursday, Lord, you need, you need well, man, I need church. Honey, it's, you don't need church. You need his presence. Never go home without him. You know? 
And so uh, let me just set up Daniel chapter one and uh, Daniel and his friends. I mean, here's here's how it happened. They just get out of youth group meeting. okay? And and they're hanging out and they're 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 at, at the local. What's the coffee shop's name here? They're at Cafe Mosaic. They're being cool. They're just sipping and they're, they're sipping coffee, lattes, como macchiados, and they're just chilling out. Things are going cool. And what happens is, you know, all of a sudden they see from the east, they all of a sudden, it's just been kind of drought lately in, in South Louisiana, and they see like this big cloud of smoke. And it's not just, it's not sugarcane smoke because they don't live in Franklin where Jamie's from. But it's a different kind of smoke. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, because they lived in an Arabic, in an area where it's dry. And, and what happened? They see the smoke. They see dust coming. And they know it's not just regular dust, but it's the dust from horses. And as they're coming, it, it, they see the dust. And all of a sudden, these guys on these horses begin to take over. Then they get off their horses and they're speaking a language they don't understand. And they're trying to give them commands and something they don't, they don't understand at all. So they, 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 they tie them up. And they direct them. And they begin to call them out. They go, you know, look, look. And we're going to see what Daniel says, how they looked at them. And they begin, they tie them up and they begin to load them up. And they take them on a trip 500 miles away. And they wake up two or three days later. And they're in a new place. There's a new language, there's a new culture, there's a new system. So that's where I want to talk. What happens when culture shifts? All of a sudden it's a new language, it's a new learning, it's new laws. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What are we fighting in our country? We're fearful of laws that are going to change. Can I just tell you something? Laws have been changing for since the 1920s and 30s a lot. We shifted away. From the common law. Okay. The common law was based on the Bible. Okay. And, and, and I don't know if you've heard of the monkey courts and all that other stuff. You know, just what happened when we began to buy into the evolution theory. It began. What happened is in I'm just going to try to teach you. Okay. I'm not a great teacher, but I'm just trying to help you. But in, it, what happened is it had an evolutionary theory. And what they did is when they begin to buy into that, that, that we, we evolve. That meant that. When they bought into that, that meant everything can revolve. There's no standard of right and wrong because it can change. You understand me? It's constantly changing. And so we're living in a culture that's set up. We've been set up. Okay? What happens when a culture shifts? You know, culture attempts to give us a new language, a new way of learning. How I mean, you know? We got all kinds of things. My question, how come we don't just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic? We've got to teach all this other stuff. You know, it's a new language. It's new learning. It's new laws. I mean, there's six main themes in the book of Daniel. And I just like to, we're not going to go, let me just say this. We're not going to go verse by verse in this. It'd take two years to do this. But we're going to do, we're going to try to hit you with six main themes. And let's go to Daniel chapter one, verse three and five. Then the king instructed Ezra, Ezra, Ashraphan, okay, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel 
and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good looking. For all you single girls, they were good looking. Gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. Who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. And whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, of the wine which, which, uh, which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now, Chaldeans and Babylonians are the same. From this point on, Daniel is away from his homeland in Jerusalem, and as far as we know, he never returns. Okay? So you've got to call this verses. This is what I like to call this verse, Operation Assimilation. Okay, what do you mean by that? It begins with a a selection process aimed at the cream of the crop of the Jewish teenage boys. What did Hitler do? He wanted to create an Aryan nation. Okay, that's a whole nother thing. But they took the cream of the crop. Okay, and so the king assigns, assigns them his right-hand man, and he makes sure that they get the best of Babylonian education. For three years, they're immersed in Babylonian knowledge, culture, history, religion, language, and at the end of the time, they would enter into the king's service and be assured a high-level government position. See, I just know this. When you look at the Bible, every time the enemy is threatened... You remember Exodus when God was going to bring a deliverer, Moses? Remember that? What did he do? The enemy got freaked out. You know, freak out. You know, he has those freak outs. And he, had, he was freaking out. And he said, what do I do? I got to kill all the babies that are two and under. Remember that? And then when Jesus came, remember when Jesus was coming, the prophecy that he was going to come? Two and under. They started killing babies. And that's where you see Joseph and Mary went to Egypt for a time. See, devil, let me just say this. The devil always goes after the young. He goes after the thinking. That's what he does. This, he, this is very clever and it's very seductive. Think about it. Just think about this. Culture shifts often start with the young. Colleges. Hate Ashbury and all that. If you into all that, I mean, that's, I'm older than a lot of you, but some of you, you're older than me, or some of you about the same, or it doesn't matter. But you see a lot of culture shifts that take place in college campuses. You know, Nebuchadnezzar called his vice president human resources, and he gives him a two-step plan in educating these young boys. And this is what he says. He said, these guys are sharp. Here's his plan. Step one was to Full, to give them a full scholarship to the Ivy League college called Babylonian State University. Okay? It's the Ivy League of the ancient world. He wanted to uproot their Jewish mindset. In other words, the enemy comes to destroy your God mindset. Okay, and so what happens is he's implants a Babylonian language, their science, their math, their astrology, their commerce, and their history. There, there are a number of teachers and professors that are adamantly 
They try to undermine Christian values. I'm not saying every one of them. Are you hearing me? But there's a lot of them that try to come against and they'll look for a kid that's like maybe getting it, get, got saved. I remember, listen, when I got saved, okay, I can remember going to certain classes and, and then, and it's like inside me, I'm like, what? I remember going to a religion class. Okay. And the guy was saying, he was speaking and I'm not going to say what denomination, but he was saying, okay. It's a very, very prevalent, prevalent denomination. Okay. <laughs> and he's in there talking about, well, the Bible stories didn't really happen. And they're just a, they're just an example of what we're going to do. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you're saying the Red Sea didn't open? No, the Red Sea didn't open. There's a drought during that season, so they were able to walk out of there. Well, thank God, God wiped, God wiped them out with three inches of water and drowned the whole Egyptian army. That's a greater testimony than him just having the Red Sea open. You know, you're just thinking. You know, by the way, proper education is teaching people how to think, not what to think. You see, a culture that doesn't honor God will always try to tell you what to think. Are y'all with me? The second step is, step two was to offer them free food. How do you get to a boy's stomach? How do you get to his mind? Through his stomach. Come on, I raised five sons. Listen, when they come in there with their friends, look, three or more children, three more sons in your house is like a pack of wolves. Okay, I have one son left in the house. His name's Luke, and he's 11. Well, he has his best friend, Cole, and, you know, the other day I walked, yesterday I walked in, and there's Luke and Cole, they're, they're like having our treats, our snacks. Cole's over there. I look at him, and I know how much Tracy thinks. I go, Cole. Let me just ask you one thing. Did you wash your hands before you touch those pumpkin seeds? No, Mr. Bubba. Go, go wash your hands before Miss Tracy comes. We can pray at night, okay? Boys don't wash their hands. Mamas, come on. I mean, I don't think they're fully trained till they know how to wipe their booty and brush their teeth without being told. And all the mothers said, all right, you know what I'm talking about. Boys are just gross. They leave toilet seats up, spray everywhere. They leave their mark. I can hear my wife out of frustration. My God, when are y'all going to? She didn't do it loud, but she just got, when are y'all going to learn? I mean, she'd go over there, look at the boy. When are you going to learn? The lid. Toilet paper, wipe it. Flush it. Come on, there's a learning curve there. I don't know what it is. The second thing, culture attempts to give us new labels. A culture that honor God will always try to rename you. Isn't it amazing? Daniel's friends were given new names. They had the option of letting their names define them. Okay? Here's the meaning. I, I looked it up and it just kind of so you could see. 
I don't think we have a chart. Do we have a chart on their names or their labels? We didn't, you didn't get that? Okay. Huh? It's on the back of the notes. You see their names and how, okay, look, look right there. And you see Daniel means God is my judge. Then he's renamed Belzazar, which means Bel, protect the king. There's a message in that name. He was being raised to protect the king. Okay, but God actually used Daniel to try to protect the king. Okay, Hananiah means the the Lord is gracious. He was, his name was Shadrach, which means command of Akka, which is a Babylonian moon god. Masel means who is the Lord. He's relabeled Meshach, meaning all who like Akka. It's it's another Babylonian god. Eshera, his the Lord is my helper, renamed him Abednego which means servant of the shining one, yet another Babylonian God. While they do not seem to protest their names verbally, can I just say this? What they do do, their actions demonstrate they still are loyal to their Jewish upbringing and they're still worshiping God. There's power in the name. How many of you have had nicknames growing up? You know, and sometimes those names weren't good. You know what I'm talking about? My, my name, my real name is Howard. So what rhymes with Howard? Coward. So when me and my brother would get mad, we had little things we'd say. You know, Howard the Coward, Howard the Coward. And I, his name was Todd. I used to have a song, Todd eats meat from the toilet seat. Do da, do da. And I do all these different things. We had things. Now that's gross, but anyway. All right. And so for me, when my brother called me coward, there was something in me. We'd just go, I'm not a coward. Howard actually means defender. It means chief guardian. It means... Chief Shepherd. Pretty cool name. My middle name, I kind of like it. It means popular. Ray. You Ray means popular. Bubba. You know what Bubba means? That's my nickname. But Bubba means brother. Okay. In Czechoslovakian, it means grandma. In Spanish, it means retarded. But I like the Zulu name, Father. Because when I go to like in Spanish speaking countries, you know, I traveled and something. Oh, no, no. Can't say Baba. Say Bob. Bob. Pastor Bob. <laughs> so in the Spanish world, my name is Pastor Bob. Anyway. So. You know what you call someone has the power to define them and to identify them. Don't ever underestimate your words. Bible says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, life and death are in the power of the tongue. See, the Babylonian culture attempt to steal Daniel and his friend's identity. Look at me. This culture wants to steal your identity as a Christ follower. Where did Christians get their names when the people saw them? And they said, they're just like little Christ. They're just like the Christ. What was Christ like? You see, 
they try to, you know, identity theft is, is a big concern in our modern age. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just Home Depot a while back just had a big thing where people stole their identity. And it's a big thing. I mean, they stole their credit card information. Target went through that. Remember how they went? It was like a big deal. Maybe Daniel and his friends were, uh, were potential victims of ancient identity theft. What do you mean, Pastor? Daniel knew how to keep his identity secure. How many of you have ever had your identity stolen? It's paid. I've never had it, but, you know, I've had people try to get, you know what I mean? But what happens, it's a painful process. Because what you got to do, they may take your credit history and destroy it. It will take your money and run with it. And then you got to, and if you'd had, you know, identity theft, protection i'm not here to you know you didn't have your wall up or your whatever thing you know padlock whatever what do they call it anyway it doesn't matter i'm not advertising for anybody but what happens is is that daniel had to learn to be secure in who he was listen to me you're a child of the king he said he is a strong tower And the righteous run to it. Not only is he a strong tower, the Bible says he's a refuge. He's a rock of escape. When David was, when Saul was pursuing him and and he was at the top of the mountain, and I love it, it's called the rock of escape. And he just cries out to God and goes, God, help! And God brings a messenger and tells Saul, the Philistines are coming this way. He had to make a decision. I'll go back and fight the Philistines. God helped him. God rescued him. You know, when I battled cancer, there were times that I'd meet people and they would find their identity was cancer. They would live by that word. It's a frightening thing to come to someone and say, you have cancer. Because all of a sudden, that becomes your identity. Cancer. Oh, my God. But I remember when they said, and it's nothing, no praise to myself. But I remember when they came in, they declared, you have cancer first thing I did is I got on my knees and I said God I trust you and I got up and I looked at the doctor and I said doc this is a journey for me and my family as much as it a journey for you I don't know what the end result would be but I'm going to follow my God and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to testify of his goodness You know, I go every once in a while for a checkup. They check on me and they have the people there. They go, oh, we miss you. I go, I don't miss y'all. <laughs> I don't miss y'all. Man, would you, would you come back? No, I don't want to come back. But if I have to come back, I'll go back. But I'm still trust the God. Are you hearing me? Because if I don't get healed in this world, can I tell you something? God has something he wanted to do in my heart. I won't change that. Pastor Todd had me come and share in Lake Charles. And when we were interviewing, he was interviewing me. And I said, God, I said, Todd, God blessed me with cancer. Do you understand? And he goes, I, I can't get that out of my mind that you said that. Sometimes God brings, I have a book on my desk right now. It's called, Jamie looked at it. It's called Affliction. How many of you want that? Any signers? Written about 30 years ago by. Ruth, um, whatever, it doesn't matter. Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife. 
And, and, you know, when I think about that, just, you know, how do we respond when culture shifts and it moves away from God? Look what Daniel did. This is, a power, this is powerful. It's in the Bible, verse 8 of Daniel. But I love what it says. But Daniel, how many, you've been around me long enough. How many of you know there's some good butts in the Bible and there's some bad butts in the Bible? Amen? It's where you put your butt. Okay? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might defile himself. And so what happens is when the guy, the vice president that's in charge of their their food supplements, he says, Daniel, I can't do this. The king will notice you'll be skinny and you'll, you'll, you're, you know, and the king will kill me and he'll kill you. And he goes, just test it. Let's see. And actually, the Bible says they were plumper than everybody else. Listen, you do it God's way, God protects you. God will cover you. And he'll put a little fat on you, a little faithfulness, accountability, and teachability. Amen, fat. It's good to be fat in the Lord. Come on, say faithful, accountable, and teachable. All right, that's what we all need. Amen? And all this, didn't say amen, you need it. This verse is so important because this is what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart. You got to listen. It doesn't happen. You need to make up your mind what you're going to do right now. Because, you know, there, there could be a suddenly. And I'm not putting, trying to put fear in anybody because fear is of, of the devil. It's not of the Lord. There's the fear of the Lord where you go, I reverence God and I'm not going to go against him. But you need purpose in your heart now. Daniel and his friends resisted to partake of the best that culture had to offer. You and I have the same offer. Sometimes the best opportunity to make a decision, but it'll defile you. It's a, you know, you can do this, and it's the best that, that, that Eunice has to offer. This is the best that, you know, that... I'm going to get a little touchy here, but y'all get mad at me. This is the best the state can give you. Can, can I think we're coming to a time, and I want to tell you something. The state will not be able to help you. The federal government will not be able to help you. You'll need God. I'm not against people getting help. I'm not against that. But if you put your dependence on those things, we're all going to find out those things are going to fall. And they're going to crash. Thanks for all those amens. See, we stand, this is what you got to do. You know, you get, there's three things you got to make a decision on. Let me tell you what they are. You got you know, to stand firm in our commitment to God. I'm going to stay firm. I need the power of the Holy Spirit residing in my heart. I'm going to be committed to God no matter what. Amen. The next thing I need to stand on convictions that are right. This is right. And this is true. And that's where I stand. And I'm not moving. I'm drawing the line in the sand. I remember my son, Zach, that's the pastor, the campus pastor in Crowley. I remember when he was in fifth grade. He came to me. And he had these guys trying to pressure him to look at some pornography at recess. And they called me and said, Mr. McCann, can you come down to the school? And we have a situation. And Zach tells me, Dad, I didn't do it. But I did tell the teachers that they had the stuff. I was like, because him and I talked about it. 
Because you know what I did years ago? I told, I told Miss Tracy, Tracy, you need to be the male receiver of this house. Because when the mail comes, sometimes there's magazines that I don't need to see and the boys don't need to see. And thanks for all those amens. There's just some things that, you know, we don't, you know, and I started telling her what the things, how guys think. And, I, and, and it wasn't like a weird thing. It was just like, I want to protect my sons. I'm not saying they never blew it or dabbled or whatever. But if you don't make up your mind and make a commitment, this is the right thing. This is the wrong thing. This is true. This is where we stand in your family. You go, hey, in our marriage, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stay partners for life. We're going to have no outside partners, just us. I love what they ask. I love what they ask uh, Phil, you know, on Duck Dynasty. He goes, they go, Phil, you never worry about going to, you know, going all traveling all of a sudden, women coming on. He says, look, I mean, I'm 67 years old. Me and Miss Kay just trying not to hurt each other. <laughs> I know, that's a great, that's a great response. We just trying not to hurt each other. So the rest of you, well, let's go back to the Bible, all right? And you stand Here's a lot. You stand with courage in your heart. When others will not stand with you, you stand. The Bible says, stand therefore. Sometimes we've got to see what we're standing there for. Before. You stand there. When the winds of adversity, when the things that, that the world has to offer, when, when, when your friends want to go a certain way or do a certain thing, you go, no, you know what? I want to read in this book right here. And what it says, it's guided. This is a love manual. This is a manual teaching you how to be a good husband, a great wife, how to raise up children, how to do finances, how to have a great relationship with others, how to bring forgiveness in people's lives, how not to allow things to think to have stinking thinking in your own mind. And even when you go to read this, the devil will try to come to you with weird thoughts and no one's ever been there. You don't know what you know what I'm talking about. It teaches you how to pray. I've learned in prayer. I can't get on my knees if it's earlier in the morning because I'm going to fall asleep. So I pray and I get my Bible and I walk around around and I read my Bible and I walk because if I lay there I'm gonna I'm gonna my pages are gonna be wet I've tried it I've served the Lord listen you know what I'll just say this in the midst of my faithlessness God has remained faithful I have not backslidden 35 years almost in May that have served the Lord that have honored him that he's been with me. I have a wife of 30 years. My, you know what? My desires when I saw my parents get divorced. And if you have gone through it, I, listen, I just feel for you. I just spoke to a guy and his wife just, just decided they, they couldn't stay together. And it's because of unfaithfulness. It broke my heart. But most of all, I think of those kids. Because I was a kid like that. And in my desire, not being a Christian, I said, God, one day, I just want to grow up and my kids don't have to experience what I experience. Now, listen, me, I've never used the D word divorce in my family. Never once with my wife. Never. Never. I've never bought her the cassette tape buns of steel like my stupid friend did with his wife one time. If she asked me how she looks, I said, you look wonderful. You would make a gunny sack look great. Now, Death and murder has crossed my mind. 
Don't y'all look at me all religious and pious. <laughs> You've thought about it a few times. I'll just get away. No. I'm just messing with you. You know, I just want to end today. And this is a guy that was an African pastor. It's a great letter. And it's a young man. He's from Rwanda. And they were, tried, they were forced to renounce Christ in their tribe. And he knew that when he would, that he wouldn't renounce Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that he would be killed. And they'd kill him on the spot. The night before, he had written a letter called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I just want to read you the letter that he wrote. It goes like this. I'm part of a fellowship, unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, slow planning, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, platitudes, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, loved by, loved by patience, lifted, lifted by prayer, and labored by love. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide is, my guide is reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder the pool of popularity, or mendler in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I have preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until, until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing my colors will be clear. It always represents three things where Christians stand. When the world gets dark, some Christians just want to hide. I'll just hide until it passes over and we may escape. Or the others to just give in to the pressure and become like the world all around us. Or the others in love, in love with God and in love with trying to help people. You allow the hand of God. You know, and we're going to talk about the hand of God next week. But God prospered and promoted Daniel and made him a difference maker, even in a pagan culture. 
See, at our Savior's church, we're not going to retreat. We don't have to retreat in here. We believe. We run to the battle. We don't run from the battle. We run to the battle. We come, you come to how many, you know, you come to everyone begins to believe. And as a pastor, this is the Bible. I love this book. If you know the history of this book, Latimer and Ridley in London, seen the spot being burned at the stake for this book. Latimer looks at Ridley for today. Latimer, we will mark a spot for all eternity that we stood for the king. We did not back away from his words. We hold them dear to our hearts. And forever, we will mark a spot. If you go on that street, there's an X that marks a spot where Latimer and Ridley were burned to the stake for the word of God. You know why? Because there's a culture shift. And they were willing to face the sword. And see, I believe that revival is coming. Revival is conviction. Isn't like a little, you know, little tap. It's like, oh, hear the Lord. It's me. The conviction of the Lord is like one of those knights that have those long poles, those joustings. And all of a sudden, when you don't see it coming, bang! What was that? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But see, when conviction comes revival, when, re, when conviction comes to revival, it brings joy. The joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord shall be our strength, right? How many of you want joy? Everybody else that didn't raise their hand, we're praying for you. Let's do it again. How many of you want the joy of the Lord? Listen to me. Let me just say this and I'm done. I promise. First of all, God's got great things for this camp, for this church, for this church. God's got great things for you. Maybe you come today and you're, you're in that, that position. He goes, you know, if the pressure came, Pastor Bob, I, 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 I don't know, but I might just give in the pressure. You know how you stop that? You go, God, today, I don't give you portions of my heart. I give you all my heart. Listen, if you want all of God, you got to be willing to give all of you. It's my will being crossed by the will of God. Not what I think, not what I want to do, because there's a whole lot of things I would have done different. Can I just say? But God crossed my will. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I I really need God because I want, I want to stand strong in the strength of the Lord and our culture shift in America. And it's not just in America, guys. It's worldwide. It's worldwide. My friends, next week I got a guy, he's going to be the next president of the Congo coming to spend some time with me. He's a friend of mine. In the midst of that, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a guy come here too. His name's Johnny. 
He's in London. He's doing more. He's having more salvations in all of London. Had papers written about. He's a good friend of mine. And we've supported him. This church has supported him. Come on, that's a good thing. And he's winning more people at coffee shops like Starbucks and stuff. He's bringing in these bands. He's got all these cool venues. People are getting saved left and right. And they're freaking out. One guy walks into the thing. I was just bringing my wife for a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, the Lord hit me. Use Johnny. Now I give my life to God. Never thought about God. I mean, you know, you just go, wow. Because see, when darkness gets dark, the light gets brighter. Was it one of our pastors, Pastor Eric from St. Louis? He was saying, you know, it's kind of like Noah's ship. How much light do you want to let in? You know, they could go and open the window. Remember, you can let just so much light in or you can just open the whole window. How much light do you want in? The handle's on you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone here this morning. I thank you for our Savior's church, Eunice. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing here, how you're stirring hearts, how you're moving on people's, just their lives and even their lifestyles. And Lord, I thank you as a church. We don't want to run from the battle. We want to run to the battle. We want to be people that are not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed. God, we are not ashamed. But Lord, I pray for those that are just lived in mediocrity, lived in compromise and lived in just saying by, by their feelings or by things that are going on in their, in their thing and they, they just give in to the pressures all around them. Just pray that you would help them. That if that's you, don't want to look around and say, Pastor, well, that's me. I've allowed people's voices to override God's voice for my life and my direction. Would you just pray for me? And I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise your hand. You can put it down. Okay. Anyone like that here? Thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Thank you. Put it down. Father, you see these hands. Lord, I pray that right now in their own heart, in their own life, they would just make that commitment to follow you today. In their hearts, they would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my compromise. Forgive me for my shallowness. Forgive me of just allowing the pressures of life and people to be the voices that I listen to rather than your voice. From this day forward, help me. Help me not just to hear your voice, but help me to fully obey your voice. And God, as I obey your voice, that I would sense your favor, your presence, and your, your power overtake every fear, every doubt, everything that I've been shameful of, that I don't walk in shame anymore, but I can walk in victory.